As you're seated, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church up to third grade. If you'd like to worship together, you feel free to meet Miss Terry at the door there. We also believe it's a big deal to be in church. Give these kids a good hand. Will you do that? And I want you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. And for our guests this morning that may not be aware of what's been going on, uh, we finished a series of revival meetings on Wednesday night. God has blessed in a miraculous way. Um, Lord willing, we'll baptize four next Sunday morning. And we just praise the Lord for His goodness. Amen? And uh, David Burton wanted me to send his gratitude for the generosity of the church and the spirit of the church. He said, Greg, I've done a lot of revivals, but I'm telling you, this past week has been one of the best. And we rejoice that God has shown some favor just to see these decisions, and uh, I praise him for that. Amen, church? Amen. Uh, can you see what I have in my hand? Okay, right field, if you can see that, what is that? Right center? Okay. Let's see who the best participants are. Left center? Okay. You don't have to holler. Brett, what is that? That is a Christian switchblade is what that is. No, it's a key fob. You're right. And this belongs to the 2012 Chevy Cruze that I drive with 183,000 mile, 183, miles on it. And this is brand new. It's brand new because the fob that I've always used, actually two of them, all three holes have nothing on top of them. When you look at it, you see a computer board. If you're with me, say amen. Yeah. Am I the only one that's ever worn out a, a key fob? No, I'm not. I know that. But here's what was happening. People were coming to me and saying, Brother Greg, do you know your trunk's open? True story. Judy would come in and say, your trunk's open. I got to the point of saying, that's because I'm going to use it in a little while. Something weird was happening on the fob that had no buttons, but the trunk button was somehow kicking in all the time. So I was popping my trunk all the time. So finally, Renee and I, she said, you got to get another one. you got to get a new one. Here's another thing that would happen. When you would lock the car from the inside because you couldn't on the button, when you would open the car with the key, the honker would start honking. Honk, honk. That's okay except for the cemetery when you're doing a graveside. Man, you should see us how fast we were trying to get in the car and turn the key and get that off. This key fob this morning reminds me of something. We have been reminded this week that the missing ingredient to start the engine of the local church, if it's not the Holy Spirit, it is not eternal. It's temporary. It's temporary. Uh, I appreciate you all. Many of you saw the prayer chain praying for my dad who stumbled uh, walking. He walks for exercise. He was about a half a mile away from their house, and he stumbled on a sidewalk, hit his head, his nose, his face. Um, uh, his hand was bleeding. We couldn't get that stopped. We went to the emergency room. They did a CT scan. By the grace of God, nothing's wrong up here, and he has a broken hand. Um, two guys saw it happen and were like good Samaritans to my dad. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, when you see somebody that needs help, if it's safe, 
you give them help. And it might come just in the form of a towel to help a bleeding hand or something like that. So we went to emergency room, and uh, boy, they were so kind. And the lady that registers us, we began to talk, and somehow Eaton, Ohio came up, and she goes, well, I live in, in Eaton. I live on Judy Avenue or Lane or whatever that is in Eaton. I said, I know where that's at. I said, well, we're from Camden, and, and, and I have the privilege to pastor the Southern Baptist Church right there on the corner in Camden. She goes, I think my daughter and son-in-law go there. Dan and Lori Page sitting right here this morning. Her, your mom took care of my dad, and I thank God for that. You know, God has a way of using people. And this week, uh, by your support and your attendance and your prayers and the spirit of the church, and you know they always say you can tell a healthy church the, the fellowship of church is good if people don't want to leave. I mean, this week Jay was saying, okay, let's go. Let's get these lights turned off. It's time to go. Well, that, that was a good sign. You know, Billy Graham was saved in a revival, and thank the Lord it was a guy named Mordecai Ham who was faithful to preach the gospel the night Billy Graham came. He didn't know he was coming that night, but he preached the same message, and I praise the Lord for it. So this morning, I want to preach on remnants of revival. Now, the definition of a remnant is a small remaining segment of something. And maybe you have bought some carpet or some flooring or, or fabric, where they sell you a remnant, and a lot of times you can get a good deal on a remnant because it's not connected to the bulk, and they want to get rid of it. They want to move it. Well, folks, this morning, I want to tell you that the remnant of this revival is not something that's just left over. Leftovers. Now, some of you might go home today, and some of you men are thinking, we're having leftovers. Joy bell, joy bells. But you know, sometimes leftovers are wonderful. Anybody, anybody want to say amen? For instance, when I was a boy, after Sunday night church, we would go home, and to the younger people here this morning, old brother Greg wasn't raised where there's a McDonald's on every corner, and you could stop just by saying, telling your parents you wanted a Happy Meal. Huh? Getting a little quiet in here, kids. It's not like it is today. Eating out was a big deal. Anybody want to say amen? I really think French fries smelled better when I was a boy than they do now. But when we would go home after church, sometimes mom would just go to the refrigerator and set everything that we had in the refrigerator on the table. And that's what you fixed. And I was, I was like, mom, aren't you going to fix my sandwich? Because most people know that boys are so dependent on their moms till they're about 30. Uh, and she would say, no, you help yourself and fix it just the way you want it. And I can remember eating them old, like cold roast beef sandwiches. And, but you know what was on the table sometimes? Baloney. Leftovers. You see, leftovers are not always bad. But this morning, I want you to get the picture that the remnant of revival is not a leftover. It's to be the main thing. Are you with me? The main dish. Luke chapter 24. Boy, what, what a passage and what a promise. Now, let me set us up, okay? Jesus has risen from the grave. Amen, church? He's appeared to his disciples. He has even ate with them. 
He's eating with them. And he reminds us of a very important principle as we see it unfold in Luke chapter 24 this morning. Let's all stand. I'll begin with verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So, Lord, open our hearts this morning. Help us to be reminded of your promise and your power and who we are, our position in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can go ahead and be seated. The Bible says that in this passage that Jesus opened their understanding. I believe one night during revival, Marcia, we sang, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Actually, if you were here in revival, Greg did a lot of those praise songs that were popular 30 and 40 years ago. Those, that was like the new, the new breed of worship songs. Uh, you know, shout, Lord, I lift your name on high and, and all those songs. And, and we were reminded of that. But one of the songs was, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Not long ago, I saw a YouTube clip of a blind young man singing, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Isn't that powerful? You see, we're spiritually blind, the Bible says. The veil has to be removed, and, and it's the Holy Spirit who does that work. It's the Holy Spirit who does that work. Now, after every service David Burton would preach, I would leave and I would just think this. There's only two kinds of people in this room, lost and saved. And you have to make a choice yourself. Nobody can do it for you. That's why it's so important when you see a, a large group of youth make decisions. You've got to make sure that that decision is one girl, one boy at a time. It's their decision. And I think sometimes that when we're kids and we go forward, that might be something we wrestle with as we get older. And I think you see these teenagers wanting to reassure themselves that their decision is real. There's nothing wrong with that. We're going to praise God for that. Every parent, every teacher, every Sunday school teacher, every youth director that's poured into them, listen, that's just watering that fertile soil and praising God for what he has done. We have been reminded of something that's important to every believer in this room today, and it's the first thing I want you to jot down in your outline. An important relationship for you and me as believers post-resurrection is fellowship with the master fellowship with God now I'll give you an ex I, when I talked about going home and eating leftovers oftentimes uh, we would stop with people or be with people after church we called it fellowship boy it's been so long since we've done something like that here it's coming it's coming 
You know, our big celebration plan is at the end of the summer, our 70th anniversary as a church. Ronnie Floyd from Nashville is going to be preaching. We're going to have special guests and singing and, and just a lot of memories, going, walking down memory lane, thanking God for the 70 rich history, uh, rich history of this church. But when you think about fellowship, sometimes it doesn't equate relationship. For instance, maybe you're here today and you're mad at your husband. If you are, go ahead and look at him. Or maybe you're here and so or maybe you're here and you, you just you got into it with your spouse. Or maybe you're here and you're mad at your parents. Or one of your kids have done something to make you mad. Or maybe even more common, listen carefully, you're mad at a brother or sister and you're not a teenager. You might even be here and you're a senior adult. Just because you have a difference of opinion does not mean that you're still not related. Is that true? Is that right? Uh, Sheila, my, I have one sister, and she's the POA for my dad health-wise, mom and dad. But I am the one responsible for helping with their finances. So the big joke in our home is anything that Sheila receives has to be in the form of a check. So I can confirm it. Now listen, folks, that was a joke that you're not getting right now, okay? The big joke is I want to see everything that mom and dad get. See what I'm saying? Like I want to look at it, which I don't, but I make her think that. If she watches this sermon, she'll figure that out. Okay? Relationships sometimes can uh, be strained, but here's what's strained. The fellowship is strained, not the relationship. The relationship still is husband, wife, parent, child, sibling. Do you, you get me? Just because there's fellowship issues does not mean the relationship automatically disappears. And I want to tell you why we ought to thank God for that. Because as a Christian... When we're not in fellowship with Jesus the way we should be, we should be, it does not change the fact that you're a child of the king. That relationship doesn't change based on the winds of life. It doesn't change based on how you feel or how many services you came to or go to or whatever you're involved. You're saved based on the fact that God loves you, the cross of Calvary paid for it, Jesus is alive, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. That's the good news of the gospel. We've got to be reminded that an important piece of the relationship we have with the master is fellowship. What do we sing? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We sing about that. And we recognize the power of God. Look at verse 45. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Once I had somebody tell me, people tell preachers all, all kinds of things, and a lot of times they're unfiltered. Brother Greg, you're a meat and potatoes preacher. I need more. Okay, I, I, I get it. I get it. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. There are much better preachers in other places. And you know, you want to say, won't you go find them? Just go ahead. 
But folks, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that you're really concerned if I pronounce a Greek word properly or not. I do believe you want to know what it says and what it means. The Bible says, and, and be reminded, the greatest teacher of all time was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Could tell a story like no other, and then boom. Now, the unfair thing was, he was God, he knew what was in men's heart, and he could go directly to where you're at, Bill, good to see you, glad you're, you're post-surgery yourself. He knew what we needed, he knew what those listening needed, and he could go directly to the point. The Bible says, oftentimes, Jesus would address things, and they weren't even talking. You remember when the woman was caught in adultery, and they were, they were just slamming on the guilt, wanting her to be stoned, and Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt, do you remember that? We don't know what he said, but some people think that he may have started writing sins they were involved in because you can almost hear the rocks hitting the ground as they walked away. The Bible says he taught them and then he opened up the meaning of what it was all about. Another thing we were reminded of this week when we, when we saw the hand of God move in such wonderful ways. Folks, one night... David did not even preach. He gave about a 45-minute invitation. And he felt, you know what? He felt bad about that afterwards. He goes, Brother Greg, your folks aren't even going to think I opened the Bible. No, let me tell you. As Greg Glockridge shared his testimony, David, we were, he was always already thinking, man, we're going a different direction tonight. What do we need to do, Lord? What do we need to do? You see, we were reminded this week that it's a great privilege to be part of something way bigger than me and you. In this church, in this town, in the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, on the sign we have, make, make Jesus the talk of the town. I wonder how many of you this week went up to somebody like David Burton in his Mayberry accent. Has anybody told you Jesus loves you this week or today? I guarantee you some of you went out somewhere this week. Raise your hand if you've done it one time this week. There ain't nobody thought you were crazy. You, in, you encouraged somebody. You made somebody's day. Folks, we have the privilege as a Christian to be part of something so much bigger than us. But sometimes we set our mind to this limited, finite box that all the world revolves around this little box. No. There was a great speech by a great coach named Press Maravich. His son Pete, Pistol Pete, was standing right there. Press had a basketball in his hands like this. And you know the, the uh, valve, the air valve on the basketball is a little dot. He held that ball up to those boys and said, this ball represents everything there is to know about basketball. Then he took this pin in his hand and he put that, touched that dot. He goes, this dot represents everything you know about basketball. Now, this is where I pour into my grandsons at the ages of 11 down. I, I, I keep going with the speech. Now, listen to me. If you forget about the girls and the cars, you can do things that you can't even imagine on the basketball court. Well, what was he saying? There's so much more to what I can see. There's so much more potential than what I'm getting. And the good news is, when we see a move of the Holy Spirit of God, uh, we're seeing a basketball picture of 
things we've only been looking at a dot for a long time. And I'm telling you, here's what I've been reminded of this week. Jesus saves. We've just got to be faithful. Listen, you Sunday school teachers, those of you who've been teaching Sunday school a long time, you've had people that disagreed with you from time to time. That's okay. That's all right. But don't quit teaching. Don't quit teaching. Don't quit serving. Don't quit loving your people. Don't quit the church because one person made you mad. Anybody want to say amen? Holy cow. If I'd have left because I'd been made mad, I'd have left in 1993. But listen, family sometimes... have some problems every now and then that's okay that, that's alright you'll say brother Greg is your family dysfunctional I'll say no Renee's it no I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding we all are we all are and that's what being part of the body of Christ is about it doesn't mean you're coming to a perfect church you guys know that what we do know is that we are here together and I believe the, the local church is the baptized body of believers, and God chooses local places for that church to flesh itself out. He puts us in Camden. We're not saying we're any better than any church anywhere. What we are saying is nobody can preach a better gospel than we can because the gospel doesn't change. That's what I'm saying. Jesus saves. Now, the Bible says in this passage in verse 48, and you... He's, he's talking to the disciples, are witnesses of these things. You not only saw the cross, you not only recognized that they put me in a tomb and I rose the third day, you're witnesses of new life and you've seen the power of God. That is good news. We've seen the power of God this week. We're witnesses to these things. Amen, church? The move of God has changed us forever. It's changed us forever. Life will never be the same. Uh, as a matter of fact, the old hymn is a great testimony to that. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. You cannot argue with a changed life. And I'm telling you, when Jesus gets a hold of you, people will recognize something is different. It's different. You see, changed hearts do something. They go forward. Their attitude changes over their own sin. You see, what we do oftentimes is we worry about everybody else's sin. We want to fix everybody else because everybody else always is the one who has the problem. Revival comes when you recognize it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. God help me. And it also changes our behavior. You don't do the same things you used to do. You don't talk the same way you used to do. You don't handle people the same way you used to do. You know, I hate, you all know this, I hate to take things back to the store. Or order them online or Amazon or whatever and you get the wrong thing. I try to pawn that off. I try to talk Renee into going back to Kohl's. And I try to talk Judy into sending everything wrong that I get. She take care of that. But folks, I'm telling you, when Jesus comes into your heart, you're going to want to keep what he's given you. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. 
Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives through me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we've, we've witnessed brokenness this week, surrender. We've seen decisions in every service, and praise the Lord, the phone call I received Thursday morning was the light of the week. Brother Greg, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Those are things that only God does. But he says to his disciples, you have been witnesses. You've been witnesses. You know, when we think of the word witness, maybe you've been called. Uh, I've never been on a jury in all these years. I've gotten a lot of notifications, but something's normally happened where I haven't gotten to sit. For instance, I get there and they dismiss it or they say, go home. We don't need you. Something like that. And, or maybe it's because I say I'm a Baptist preacher, believe the Bible, I'm pro-life. I mean, I try to lay it all out there. And, uh, but I haven't been on a stand. Many of you have more than once for some of you witnesses when you think of a witness you think of someone who sees for instance a police a detective some uh, somebody that's dealing with an accident they just want you to tell them what did you see they don't want you to make up a story they don't want you to take a side just give us the facts tell us what you witnessed firsthand what really happened a court reporter sits there and records everything that's said. Why? For a record to reflect on what has been said. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 48, Jesus gives the word witness a little something more. Listen carefully. For Jesus, he also gives the idea in the original right here, of being a martyr. You know what that is? Someone who dies in this context for their religious belief. I don't believe Jesus is asking us to die in the world in which we live for our religious belief. I believe he's asking us to stand on what we believe. He was pulling no punches. If you're going to be an obedient Christian, if you're going to live the obedient Christian life, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. And we've been reminded this week in revival that it begins in our own heart first. Don't try to fix everybody else. Let God do a work in your heart. And man, we've been challenged, have we not? We've been challenged. We've been reminded this week that life is short. Jesus is coming. Verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem, tarry here, until you are endued with power from on high. So uh, it's, it's kind of simple here. Jesus has the target, the disciples. He gives them the task of waiting, and he says it's the Holy Spirit that will transform and give you the power you need to take the gospel to the world. And will we all agree today that when you look back at the biblical account of the first century church, 
we are here this morning because of the power of God and the lives of these normal men that took the gospel to where they were going. And here we are in Camden, Ohio, in North America this morning in the state of Ohio, recipients of faithfulness and the power of God. He says, I'm going to give you a promise, but you're going to have to be patient. And when it comes, boom, it's the power. And the power we're talking about in the New Testament is dynamite definition power. The power of God. You know, one wise preacher said it this way. Live in the reality of the resurrection. So we're, we, listen, praise the Lord for the cross. But when we come together on Sunday morning, we not only praise him for the cross and his blood and his body, we praise him for an empty tomb. Do we not, church? He's alive. He says, live in the reality of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. Now, take your Bible and flip over to Acts chapter 1. If you're with me so far, say amen. All right, amen. Acts chapter 1. I want to start with the first three verses, and I want to remind you of something. Because I, I bet if I were to sh ask this question, someone would probably answer wrongly. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The former account... You know who the author of the book of Acts is? Luke. It's the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes we get the feeling that it's Paul because it's right there with all those epistles. But really, Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit coming and, and the church getting the power that Jesus promised and, and the gospel goes forward and Paul gets saved in chapter 9 and, and it's just a radical lifestyle of a guy who was killing Christians and now he's saved and he is a born-again, hot-hearted evangelist and God uses him for his glory. He says, The former accounts of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise, folks, was the Holy Spirit. He says, for John truly baptized with water, John the Baptist, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know what we reassured every person that's been baptized this morning? That getting baptized and going underwater does not make you a Christian. You understand that, don't you, church? Christians get baptized. It's a symbol of the grace of God and what he's done in your life. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Camden, Judea, Samaria, Preble County, Ohio, North America, and to the end of the earth. Listen, 
Luke was convinced that the only real power would come from God. Why? Because he had been a witness of it. And he knew that the only hope for the church from that day forward was the promise of God. Now, folks, listen to me. When you become a Christian, are there not times you get discouraged? Anybody will say amen? I mean, aren't there times that you don't feel as good as you did before? Aren't there times when, when you have the wind knocked out of you or something happens to the house or you take two steps forward, three steps back and things that you told God you were sorry for keep creeping up and you keep tripping? Aren't there not times in a Christian's life when it's tough? I want to remind you of something. You're not saved by how you feel. Be reminded of that. You're not saved by how you, how you feel. That warm, fuzzy feeling does not make you saved. The truth of the Word of God is what tells me whether I'm saved or not. These things have I written unto you, First John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know you have eternal life. Jesus said in John 6, 47, He that believeth on me has everlasting life. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. That's what I'll stand on on the days I don't quite feel like a spiritual preacher and Christian. I'll just stand on the Word of God because you can trust it. Feelings change. And I want to remind you, I don't have to remind everybody in this COVID year that you might need to get a checkup if you have a warm, fuzzy feeling right now. That doesn't save me. My feelings change. Another thing we recognize in this passage is that Jesus provides us what we need when we need it. What we need when we need it. He gave the disciples the provisions. He took care of them. He sent partners have we not learned that we can do more together than we can by ourselves? And he has promised the power, the Holy Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you were sealed until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God came to live in the temple, your heart. The Bible says no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Brother Greg, there it is. You Baptists think you can get saved and live however you want and still go to heaven? If that is your understanding of salvation, you are not saved. And that's not what we believe. Oh, you Baptists walk down the aisle and shake the preacher's hand and you're saved. If that's what you believe about salvation, it's not biblical. You're saved because you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Any satisfied customers here this morning? Amen. What was the song we sang last week? Waymaker? When we sing Waymaker, there's a verse that says something about witnesses, somebody testify. When we sing that song, we ought to be standing up. I'm testifying that he's changed my life. Oh, no, we don't do that. We're not doing that. What if I'm the only one standing up? And, and in, standing in the front row before, you have sat down on me, and I've been the only one standing there and not realized it. Hey, hey, we better get used to praising the Lord. Heaven ain't going to be about standing around and doing nothing, floating around on the cloud for eternity. We're going to be praising the Lord forever 
How many of you believe that? Heaven's a, heaven's a real place for, for prepared people. Don't go there by default. You go there by salvation and Jesus and Christ alone. He provides what we need. And then, number five, water remnants of revival. Hearts that have been set on fire. Decisions, young people, man, what a blessing they've been. Kids not afraid to go public with their faith. Going back to school, telling people they've given their heart to Jesus. New passion to share. This morning in Sunday school, I heard there were 32 youth. We're going to have to make a move, folks, upstairs somehow. Anybody want to say amen? You remember that when I ask your class to be part of it. You hear me? I'm all in until it affects me. Revival affects everybody. It affects everybody. It makes you uncomfortable. It's like being in the ocean. You're either going to ride the wave or get smashed by it. But the wave's coming, and God has been so good. I close with this. I believe it was Tuesday night. Pretty sure. Some of you were, that were here Tuesday night helped me. I, I gave away three books. Do you all remember that night? I gave one to Fred's sister who had traveled 100 miles to get here. And then I walked this way. Do you remember that, Beulah? I walked this way, and there were two couples sitting here that I knew from Vandalia, my old church. You guys remember that? And I gave them both a book. One of the families was named the Hingers, and the other family was David and Rose Rector, Rosa Rector. My mom and dad loved them. They, they, they do things together. When I got to church this morning, a text on my phone said from my mom, Sheila just sent a note that Rosa Rector was killed in a car wreck last night. She was here Tuesday night. I sent a note to David Burton and said, David, I would probably say that was the last message Rosa Rector ever heard. Well, she's a believer. She's, she's home this morning. Amen? Brokenhearted David Rector. Can you imagine those of you who lost spouses quickly? You know what that's all about, brothers and sisters. But I thought Tuesday night was the last message she ever heard. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.